0: Father God, we honor you for who you are. You are holy, and we stand in awe of you and your deeds. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come now. Be with us as we listen to your word, and as we change to become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So we've been recently thinking about the Holy Spirit, a lot about revival, and I want to pick up on these themes as well. I want to talk about how The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction of sin on our lives, but also gives us the power to overcome sin. Um, I love studying past revivals. It gets me fired up. It gets me not satisfied with doing church, just turning up on Sunday and doing, doing my song and go. It makes me hungry for what I know God can do. It fires me up. So the first picture I want to show you guys is of the Brownsville Revival in America in 1995. Um, This is people lining up for church. Can you guys see this happening here? Yeah. Lincoln and I love driving on to Limitless early, and we can see the youth all starting to walk towards Tiahu, and it fires us up, right, Link? We can see this happening already. We want to see more lines. We want to say, God, we want to move of your Holy Spirit here at Church Unlimited. Um, So Pastor Tark's been preaching on this and he preached to us a few weeks ago and he also preached about it at Team Unlimited. So he brought up three points. Characteristics of revival. So this is from people who study revival when they all agree on these three things that happen. Number one, there's a strong sense of God's presence during revival. There's a deep desire to Get rid of sin, and there's a powerful impact on the community. I can remember the first time reading through Habakkuk, and I, and I was thinking about revivals, and I'm praying, God, would you do this kind of thing again? I want to see this stuff. Open up the Bible to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, and he's, he says the exact same prayer as me. I was blown away. Lord, I've heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of those deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. And that's my prayer. So the aspects of the Holy Spirit I want to bring out is that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. In John sixteen eight, Jesus said, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict or convince the world of their sin. I love learning about Charles Finney. Now, he was a, a revival evangelist in nineteen, actually 1830. So this is back in the day in the 1800s. And he was so powerfully used by God that when he stepped into a new town to start preaching, people could feel the presence of God in that town. People would walk past him and they'd fall on their knees and start crying and fear for their soul because they knew their soul was gonna go to hell. What do I do about the sin in my life? A couple of instances that I love about Charles Finney was that he used to go to towns and hire out the school halls and conduct his meetings there. Well, the next day, the kids would come to school, and they'd turn up, and they'd start crying in their seats. And the teacher would be like, well, what's going on? And they'd say, Miss, I, I fear for my soul. I, I, I think I'm going to hell, and I don't know what to do about And they'd start crying, and then everyone else would start crying. And the teacher, she'd run to, into the hall to get another teacher. And this was happening in all the classrooms every classroom. So they call up Charles Finney and they're like, you've got to come and you've got to preach to our kids. Their souls are more important than learning today. So there would be whole schools revived. This happens at a high school, the same thing. And out of that high school, 40 people became pastors and 40 people became missionaries. Can you guys see your schools being revived like this? People on fire for God. There was one time he walked into a factory and there was 3,000 workers there. And this lady started mocking him because all the taverns and nightclubs and things were getting closed down. A crime was dropping. And so she was mocking him that it was his fault. And he caught her eye to eye and she just began to weep under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing started to happen in the factory and 3,000 people were saved on that day. He was powerful. But he was, he was powerful, but he had a friend His name was Father Nash. Father Nash would go about three or four weeks before him into that town and begin to pray. He'd grab a couple of people from that town and they'd go and stay at someone's house. And they would pray based on um, Acts chapter six, verse eight. Um, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with groans and utterings that cannot be expressed. So they would groan, God, we don't know what to pray for, but we hunger for you. We thirst for you. And they would groan. And this one time he was staying at a lady's house and and they'd been there for three days and they hadn't eaten. Of course, they're fasting as well. And the lady's hearing all this groaning and she's starting to get really worried. So she opens the door and peeks through the door and she sees he's on the ground and, and, and he's groaning. So she rings up, Charles Finney, are you Mr. Finney? Yeah, Mr. Finney. Do you know? Father Nash, yeah, I know Father Nash. Oh, could you come? Please come. I think something's seriously wrong. I think he's dying. I don't want to go into the room because he's on the ground and he's groaning. And so Charles reassures her. No, no, he's just, he's just travailing in prayer. I wonder if there's some people from Limitless who've got a heart for prayer like that to see revival come, that you would lock yourself in your rooms. I wonder if there's some adults here that have the heart to see revival and you'd lock yourself in the room and you were just grown after the Holy Spirit. I'm hungry for more of the Holy Spirit because I've read what he's done in the past, and I want to see that in my day. Now, the Bible says, be holy because I am holy. Now, for some, when they hear holiness, it conjures up um, all sorts of things for all sorts of people. Some people think holiness is wearing a long dress and a bonnet or um, a man in a suit with a tie and a top hat. Um, some people think that it's walking into a majestic building like the Sistine Chapel and being in awe of its holiness. And But really, holiness is just us being set apart or different, just like this light bulb. It stands out. It's different. For us, it's not being conformed to the pattern of this world. For us, it's being pure. So that's why purity and holiness goes together a lot of the time. So during the week, Lincoln and I are together often fixing motorbikes, and one of my jobs is to change the tires on the quads. So Lincoln's got this stack of tires, and I have no idea which tire goes on what bike, so he has to go there and set apart four tires to be used, because they are right. And that's a bit like holiness. God asks us to be set apart, to be right, to be pure, to be different from the world. On the Sermon of the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure at heart, for they shall see God. And the word blessed, it literally means truly happy. So truly happy are those that are pure in heart, for they will see God. So if you want to be truly happy, let's strive for holiness be holy because I am holy. So what's God's holiness like? Now, God's nature and his character is holy, and sin cannot stand in his presence. That's why it says of heaven that nothing impure shall ever enter it, nor anything shameful or deceitful. Sin cannot be in God's presence. The only problem is that God wants to be near us, but we're full of sin. So we can we can kind of think of God's holiness like a consuming fire. And and the Bible does say that God is a consuming fire. And he was seen as a fire back in the wilderness when the Israelites were following him. But everything that comes near fire, it gets burnt up. There's nothing left. Nothing can stand near fire except for fire itself. So that's why God's asking us, be holy because I am holy. He actually wants to be near us. So we're going to talk a little bit about that before we talk about Jesus making a way for us. Um, I once heard the story of a preacher. And he was invited to preach at a church, and they were worshiping, and and they were were asking God to pour out your spirit on us. Pour out your spirit on us. And he heard God say, tell them to stop. And he's thinking, God, was that someone behind me? And he hears again, tell them to stop. And he starts arguing with God. I can't tell them to stop. I'm invited here. It's not even my turn to get up and preach. There's no way I'm getting up there to tell them to stop. And God says, tell them to stop. They're calling down my presence. And if I come, there's so much sin here that my fire is going to burn them up. So obediently, he got up and he told them to stop. And everyone's like, what is this guy doing? And he says, hear the word of the Lord. He's asking you to stop worshiping and calling down His presence because there's too much sin here. And because there's too much sin, His presence is being compelled to come, and you guys are going to burn up, you're going to be consumed. And at that very moment, the Holy Spirit came, conviction of sin. People were crying out, falling onto the floor under the conviction of sin, and in anguish because they wanted to be right with God, and it was the Holy Spirit's doing. Sin cannot be around God's holiness. Uh, What about Smith Smith Wigglesworth? He's got a cool name, Wigglesworth. He was around in 1922 and he was a powerful healing evangelist. And for those of you who have known his story, you may not know that he came to New Zealand. He came to Wellington and 11 um, pastors and leaders were invited to a prayer meeting with them. And he invited God's presence. And the story says that it became so terrible as in as in amazing, as in scary, and so hot, the heat of God's presence, the weight of God's presence was there that one by one each leader had to leave. They could not stand in the presence. Only Smith Wigglesworth could handle it. So there's this other pastor there, and he was invited, but he couldn't come. They had a prayer meeting the next day, and he said to his mates, Oh, I'm gonna be the, I'm gonna be able to stay there. So he determined that he was gonna stay there. They prayed again in their prayer meeting and the same thing happened. This terrible presence of God, it was terrible because they couldn't stand it. They couldn't stand it anymore and one by one left. And this guy that determined to be there, he stayed. He stayed he stayed until he couldn't stay anymore and he too had to leave. It's God's powerful presence. So we live in a world we all know that celebrates sin. Drug abuse, alcohol abuse. Sexual abuse, domestic violence, murder. You guys already know, I don't have to tell you, but we need a move of God's fire. So when we drive, we can see bumper stickers, and I was thinking about uh, the first, what was the first bumper sticker? And I think it was one that said, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws would have guns. So this is from the Guns Society. This is pretty clever. People began to cotton on to bumper stickers and advertising, and they started to become humorous. And then there was a bumper sticker that came about that said, when marriage is outlawed, only outlaws will have (laughs) in-laws. I thought that was pretty funny. But um, it's interesting that marriage isn't outlawed. Everything that God God honors today seems to be hated upon. Um, Marriage is still here, but it's so twisted today. From the biblical design, and sex outside the safety of marriage is celebrated as something really beneficial, but it only leads to pain and confusion. We have say- sayings like, "Oh, each to their own, follow your own way, all roads lead to Rome, do what's right in your eyes. It's even reinforced in our music, and we don't even realize it. You guys know that song, um, Baby I Was Born This Way? What are the lyrics? I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Yeah? you know, Yeah, sure you do. Anyway, it's these subtle messages that saying that God made you with all these desires. And so just do what you want to do because you're on the right track if you do what you want to do because you were born that way. And Satan uses a little bit of truth because God does. He doesn't, doesn't make any mistakes. The thing is that we're born into sin and we have to deal with it. Actually, the first line of that song says, you don't have to love capital H-I-M. It gives it away. Today's society reminds me of the book of Judges. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Because God had called Israel to be set apart, but they had turned away from God, and they'd become no different from the nations around Soon enough, oppression came. It was hard, and they would cry out to God, send a deliverer, and God would hear them and send a deliverer, and there would be peace. But then they'd turn away from God again, and it would get hard, and they'd get oppressed, and they'd cry out to God again and send us a deliverer, God, and God would send a deliverer, and there would be peace. And it would happen over and over again, this spiral, this downward spiral. And I can see that happening here, but the problem is, is that they're not crying out for God because they don't know God. They're crying out for other things like drugs and and pills and alcohol and anything but God. I think it's time that we cry out on their behalf, people that are suffering under the oppression of sin. We need to cry out on their behalf. God, send a deliverer. God, we need a move of your spirit. God, come. Now, the Bible actually says in Hebrews that, There is satisfaction in sin for a season, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Now, there's satisfaction in sin for a season, and that's the thing Satan uses to hook us in. Oh, this is all right. This is good. This feels good. And then once you're hooked, we end up saying saying things like, well, well, at least I'm I'm not not a bad person. At least I'm not a murderer. Well, we're going to get married anyway, aren't we? I, I know I struggle with sin, but God understands. I can quit whenever I want. I grew up around horses. And me and my dad used to spend heaps of time together breaking in horses. He was strong, and we had this one horse called Beacon. We were scared of him. He had one brown eye and one creepy blue eye, and he would look at you and we'd be like, we wouldn't go anywhere near his paddock, and he'd gallop up to us with his tail up, and he was psycho. So we we put off breaking them in because we're all a bit nervous and scared. But as long as my dad had the lead, I knew I'd be all right. You see, when the horse was born, dad would pick them up in his arms, lift them off the ground, and that was to show the horse that I'm always stronger than you. And then when he was weaned, we used to get him into the yards, and dad used to lead, teach him how to lead and If he he reared up, dad would sort of release the lead and he'd fall over. And that was to show him that it's always best to follow. To resist is going to be painful for you. So I knew dad was in control and we did all the basic groundwork and it's time to get on and everything's fine. Everything was so good that it was time to leave the yards, the safety of my father. Everything's still going good. It's time to join the pack, because my parents ran youth camps, so we had about 30 people come, and there was about 30 people there this particular day, and we were up on top of the hill. We stopped to see the sights, and Beacon decides to give people a sight to see, and he takes off. I'm on his back. i got the saddle on with something to hold on to, so he's bucking, like, trying to get me off, and I'm scared. And he stops again. I'm like, thank you. He starts up again, and he careers downhill, and he's heading towards this two-wire Worries our fence, and I'm like, okay. So I can either jump off now and risk injury, or I can see what happens after we go through the fence and risk injury. <laughs> Not much choice, all right. Now sin is like that wild horse. It's exhilarating at first. It's so exciting. We're doing so well, but it's wild, and it leads to pain. Sin erodes a person. Sin erodes relationships, your health. It can ruin you spiritually, financially. The wages of sin is death, and sin can lead people to hell. Now, when I was breaking in that wild horse, I left the safety of my father. I tried to do things on my own without him, and it's the same with us. We leave the safety of our heavenly father, and we leave his plan. We end up getting hurt. Now, God's not going around saying, you've got to be holy because I want you to have no fun. No, he's saying, I want the best for you. There are things out there that seem satisfying at first, but they only lead to pain, brokenness and destruction. So there are a couple of things quickly that I want to highlight about sin. Number one, sin separates us from God, but it also obstructs our prayers I'll quickly read some verses to go with these points. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor the ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will no longer hear. Now, does it feel like sometimes your prayers are being hindered? Now, God's not weak. He can pull you out of the situation like it's saying there in Isaiah. There's no doubting his strength, but could it possibly that there could be some sin that's hindering your prayer? I like how Pastor Tark talks about Second Chronicles 4:17. He got us to pray it. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he highlights this bit, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them and heal their land number two, oh one more verse psalm sixty eight psalm sixty six eighteen If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. so sin can obstruct our prayers. Number two, our sin obstructs our breakthroughs. We had a cool time with Pastor David and Greta Peters a couple of weeks ago that were talking about standing in the river for our breakthroughs and push in prayer and i I just worry that that if there's sin that might be obstructing our breakthrough, if you guys can remember the story of Achan in the Old Testament, Israel had just conquered Jericho supernaturally. They'd walked around seven times and the walls fell down. It was all God. And then they went to battle this next town, which was much smaller and much weaker, and Israel lost. And Joshua was like, God, why would you do this huge miracle with the walls falling down? And then we go and battle this other town. We only needed half our army, and we got, we got wasted. What's going on there? People are going to think we're useless, and they're going to come and fight us. And God says, get up off the ground, Joshua. There's sin in your camp. Sin is what has obstructed your breakthrough. And God told Joshua to line up the tribes, and I'll tell you which one that's got sin in it. And he did that, and they highlight a particular tribe. Okay, now line up the families, and he Highlighted family. Okay, now line up the people in that family. And he picked out this one guy, Achan, and God told Joshua, hey, you've stolen some of the dedicated things. So in Jericho, they weren't meant to take any plunder. They weren't, were just meant to either destroy it or dedicate it to God. But this guy, he took a, um, a cool robe, and he took some things from the temple, and he buried them under his tent. And so he admitted it, and they dug up all these things he had stolen. They had to make it right for God to give them breakthrough okay so number one was sin obstructs our prayers number two sin obstructs our breakthroughs and number three sin opens the door to demonic attack. I have a friend she called me once and she said oh, I've got this interesting story for you my son rang me the other day there was a demon in his room and this friend of mine she she can see in the spirit so, And I think because he's her son, he could too. And so he calls his mum over and she gets there and she's like, yeah, I can see it. And she described it and he said, that's exactly what it looks like. It's okay, son. I'll just command it to go. And she commanded it to go in Jesus' name. And the demon went straight back into the computer that he was using. Okay, we'll go on to number four. Sin hinders our healing. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Psalm 38.3, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So not only does sin separate us from God, hinder our prayers, obstruct our breakthroughs, brings demonic oppression, hinders our healings. But my last point, in this section is that the Bible says, "God opposes those who sin." First Peter 3:12, "For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Here's an interesting quote. I want you to think about what major religion it came from: "Love the sinner, but hate the sin." What do you guys reckon? Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism. What do you guys reckon? Yeah, there's a few, there's a few um, answers there. It actually came from Hinduism. Um, Mahatma Gandhi wrote it in one of his books, and I think it's cool. I think it's cool for Christians to love the sinner, but hate the sin. It's a good thing for us to do. But the Bible actually says something a little bit differently. Psalm five, verse five. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. So sin is really intertwined with who the person is, according to the Bible. Psalm eleven five: The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked, those who love violence, he hates with a passion. Those who love violence. I don't know. I, I want to add in there, those who love violent video games and violent movies. I don't know. You guys have got to pray about that one and get convicted on that if, that is something you need to sort out. Those who love violence. Okay. So some of you are thinking, but that's God in the Old Testament. There are some in the New Testament because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Romans one eighteen: the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. With their wickedness. So there's a lot of verses in the New Testament about God's wrath, and that's the word wrath is just extreme anger. It's a bit like God's fire, how sin cannot stand in the presence. Wrath is like fiery anger. Ephesians 5:6, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Romans 2:5 and 6, but because of your stubbornness, your unrepentant heart, you storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when the righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what he has done. Now, if we don't deal with our sin now, it will be revealed on the day of judgment. Hmm, how would you like? Uh, I guess your your internet history being revealed to everybody, um, your sins being revealed. Uh, that's a, could be a scary thought for some people. But maybe you are asking, oh, isn't that just the unbelievers? Maybe it's, maybe it's them God's talking about there. And yeah, you're right, but Hebrews 10:26 and 27 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, he's talking about people who know God. It says, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only the fearful expectation of judgment, of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now, we, we can't have feet in both camps because it gets really uncomfortable, and I think it's because if you're in that situation, you've got too much of Jesus in your life to enjoy sin, and you've got too much sin in your life to enjoy Jesus. It's the most horrible place to be, I reckon. If you remember back to Pastor Tark's 30th anniversary, he talked about 12 points from his 30 years leading Church Unlimited, and the main point that I got out of that, the one that God highlighted for me, um, was that Christianity only works if you give it 100%, if you're all in. It only works if you're all in, not not one foot on each camp, not sitting on the fence, because Satan owns the fence, if you know what I mean, how to make a decision. So how do we get rid of our sin? How do we become holy? Now, remember the horse, the story. I didn't tell you what happened at the end. Beacon was careering towards the fence, and I decided to stay on it's downhill. He's not going to stop. All of a sudden he got within, I don't know how close to the fence, but he turned sharp and he ran, raced back up the hill and he stopped right at the feet of my dad. And it's what we've got to do as well. We've got to turn from our sin and we've got to turn and go straight up to the feet of the father, our father. Sin is like that horse. We've got to ask God to take the lead. That's what I did that day. I said, Dad, can you quietly get off your horse? Please do not set this guy off again and grab my lead. And Dad did that. He led me for the rest of the day, which was good. (laughs) We need to ask the Father to take the lead. We need to ask the Father to take the horse, the wild horse, the sin. We need to ask the Father to take our sin. Now, it's a fancy word, propitiation. You guys don't have to remember that, old fashioned, but it's the act of how God took our sin, placed it on Jesus. And God did this to show that he wanted to be near this. So God took our sin, he placed it on his son, Jesus, and Jesus died and rose again and broke the power of death and sin and hell. God made a way for us because he loves us, because he wants to be near us. The Bible says, be holy because God is holy. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. 1 John 4, 10. This is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. God's character, his nature, his presence can't tolerate sin, so God provided a solution to our sin. Now, all we need to do is to to accept it like a gift. We need to pray something like, thank you, God, for, for giving us Jesus to die in our place. God, I ask you for, to forgive my sin, make me holy again. I ask you to take the lead. I want to follow you. I'll just grab the music team up if that's okay. Uh, Lincoln was saying to me the other day, "I uh, hate Our marriage is pretty good, eh? And I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty good." And he's like, "Oh, why do you think it's why do you think it's so good?" And I, I was, my answer was, it's because we both put hundred percent into our marriage." And Lincoln was like, should, do you think we should start telling people about it? You know, like help people, and maybe if God wants us to. But, but through the, studying this, I think, it's, I think it's to do with being pure and holy. I know that Lincoln doesn't have a hidden sin in his life. And, and I know that I have a clear conscience. And I think if we had sin in our life, I think marriage would be a whole lot harder. Pure, being pure, being holy, it's a good thing, a really good thing. Now I thought Beacon I thought he was a psycho. Like I really really did think he was nuts in the head. And he would rear rear up and we we think he was crazy. And it's the same with Sin. It rears its ugly head. And we think we can't deal with it. It's too crazy, it's too psycho, it's too strong. But do you know what Beacon? He became the most quiet beginner horse that no one wanted to ride cuz he was so slow. He was so safe. We were able to master him, and it's the same with sin. It's not impossible, but we need God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need our Father to take the lead. We need to be in his presence. We need to be in his presence in prayer. We need to be in his presence in reading the word. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By living according to your word. The Bible is good. God is holy.